Happy end of December. I'm Elizabeth Emery, producer and host of Hear Her Sports, the podcast about exceptional female athletes and women in sports. This is the last podcast of 2017. And guess what? Hear Her Sports is now moving into its second year. Oh my goodness. I'm thrilled you're listening and send warm wishes for your new year. Today's guest is Shelma Jun, rock climber and founder of Flash Foxy, an extraordinary multimedia platform that celebrates women in climbing. She's also the creator of the Women's Climbing Festival, which is only two years old, but was just beyond popular from the moment it was announced. Find the link for the Women's Festival, along with other stuff in the episode on hearhersports.com. Shelma's a super inspiration. She has so much smarts and caring to give everybody around her. I feel very lucky to have her on the episode. Her days are packed with lots of exciting stuff, which I know because this conversation has been in the works for many months. Welcome, Shelma, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, you know, let's start with the Women's Climbing Festival, since you just finished the Chattanooga one in mid-November, and you have another one coming up in Bishop in March. So why do you think that the Women's Climbing Festivals have been so successful? You know, I really think that the Women's Climbing Festivals have been so successful because women are looking for ways to come together and be together. The first climbing festival, which was in 2016 in Bishop uh, in February, those tickets sold out in within 24 hours. Uh, we had about 200 women there. This past one uh, in 2017 in March in Bishop sold out in one minute. We had 300 women there and we had a, over 800 women on the wait list. And I tell you this not in an effort to brag, but to to kind of emphasize that so many people had a desire to come to this festival before we were even really established. So before they even knew exactly what we would be doing or what we would be capable of, they were excited and on board. And I think what that reflects is that women are looking for ways to come together, to share their experiences with each other, to create networks and communities together. And this uh, has just shown that the desire for that goes even well beyond what I can provide through the festivals, which is a really exciting place to be. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because, you know, I, I talk to women of all sports and I'm a cyclist and there isn't the same demand in other sports, or at least not that I've seen. So I'm curious, you know, like, what is it about climbing maybe that has attracted these women to come together? Because I certainly think that there's some of the same issues in all women's sports. Yeah, I agree. I think climbing is very community focused. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe maybe more than some other sports are. A lot of times you go out together in a group. Well, if you're climbing ropes, a lot of times you're climbing with a partner. So you're creating these deep, trusting relationships with with your partners. And I was thinking about this. And as a as a climber who climbs on ropes, you're literally putting your life in the hands of your partner. They're holding the rope that holds your life. And there aren't very many opportunities in our life where we put that kind of trust in somebody else, right? And so that kind of ability to trust each other creates and forges really strong bonds. And then in bouldering, we go out in these big groups and we spot each other and we support each other and we cheer each other on. So climbing is a very social endeavor, especially with the way that gyms have been increasing. So I think that's one part of it. I think that climbing is exploding as a sport. So we're getting a lot of new climbers. You know, there are more and more gyms opening up in large cities. And 
climbing is in a really unique position in terms of outdoor sports where we are able to meet people where they're at in cities. If you want to try mountain biking or you want to try kayaking, you can't really try that out in the city, right? You kind of have to go. You have to decide you're going to make that commitment to find a guide or rent the equipment and go out into the mountains and try that. But climbing, we have this really unique advantage where people can go to the climbing gym and try it out and see if they like the movement. They like the way that it works. They like the community. And from there, they can take this next step out into the outdoors. And because of that, I think climbing is just exploding and a lot of new people are able to come into it and they're seeking ways to find community. That's really interesting that you're talking about the gym because I just talked to somebody who was talking about women cycling outside and being afraid to cycle outside and maybe climbing indoors sort of jumps that step of getting comfortable before having to go outside. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think even just knowing how it works, right, um, is and like having somewhat a familiarity with the movement is right. really exciting. Um, or, or is really it can can create a lot of comfort. Right, right. And then having something like the festival where you can come as a new climber and have uh, support and guidance into now transitioning your climbing into the outdoors, right. I think can be really helpful for women as well. So what do you think that the women are getting, you know, once they've gone to your climbing festival, what are they taking away and, and what are they taking back to where they're living? Um, I can't speak to what people are taking away, but I can tell you what I hope people are, <laughs> or women are taking sure. away from the festival. I uh, like how you don't speak for other people. I know you've said that quite frequently. I like that. Yeah, no, I mean... It's so funny because people ask me, well, do you think this is offensive to women or do you think women think this? And I'm like, I can't. I don't represent all women. Uh, I can tell you what I think. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, what I really hope for women to take out of this is uh, several different things. All of our instructors, all of our guides, our facilitators, our panelists, our photographers, everybody is a woman. And I do that very deliberately to kind of reinforce the fact that women can be the experts that we can be the decision makers that we can be the leaders and that we don't have to just be the people learning and so i really hope that women who are beginners that come know that just because they're a beginner now doesn't mean that they can't be a leader later right that they can't be a teacher later or the expert that those are all really feasible within our own reach i hope that they come and feel validated in the experiences they've had. I think as women, our emotions and feelings are constantly being questioned and invalidated and not just in sports, kind of in all different parts of our lives. We're constantly being told, you're being too sensitive, you're making a big deal out of nothing, that's probably not what he meant. Putting all this onus on you as a woman um, for the feelings or negative experiences that you have. And I think the ability to come together and share those experiences and understand and realize that you're not the only one having those experiences is an incredibly powerful uh, realization for, it has been for me and I hope it is for other women too, that like, we're not alone. You're not imagining it. You're not too sensitive. These are larger issues at hand and having that support and validation can be incredible incredibly confidence building going back into your regular environment. I th think it's also really interesting to go into an all women's environment and see what it's like 
not to have all that scrutiny all the time and not have, you know, you're in your own mind, all the questioning that you're talking about, but also not having it come at you and sort of experiencing what life like that is. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the main reason why we have the festival be women only. I get asked all the time why I make it a women's only event. And I think that, you know, gender is a social construct and we all feel different social pressures and social norms when we're in different company. And when it's women only with women, some of those pressures that you're talking about do dissipate. And we are able to talk about things more freely in certain instances. I really want to create a space that women feel safe being able to say things they might not feel as comfortable saying in front of mixed company for the fear of having to be put on the defensive. Um, I also think that, and I'm, you know, I think that this probably applies to the cycling community as well, is that the culture of climbing was created by the people who were there when climbing culture began. Sure. And that was predominantly white men. So the climbing culture as it exists now was mostly defined by white men. And the climbing community is really shifting and changing. There's more women, there's more people of color, there's more queer folks, there's more adaptive people. And our culture was defined by one subgroup now. And what I'm really hoping is that spaces like the Women's Climbing Festival are allowing us to kind of experiment and explore different dynamics. How else can we define climbing partnerships, challenges, successes, um, support systems? when it's all women and hopefully we're taking some of that going back to the places that we are we're from and shifting climbing culture to be a better reflection of its changing demographic it's exciting thank you have these climbing festivals been what you've expected for yourself personally and what have you gained yeah i mean i think it's beyond what i expected um just to give you a little context, when I started Flash Foxy, it, I had no grandiose plans for it. It was an Instagram to just pic post pictures of me and my girlfriends climbing because I was just so excited to have this group of women that I could share and grow with. Um, and it kind of exploded from there. When I first thought about putting this festival together, I thought it was going to be 30 women hanging out in the desert. And then the response was so huge that I had to cap it to make it manageable for me, right? And so at every turn, this festival has has exceeded my expectations. The energy of the festival is probably one of the biggest surprises. There's a lot of press about the festival from women who've attended, and we're always talking about this feeling, this energy we can't quite describe. It's almost kind of like we're drunk with giddiness, of being all together. Like we're all just so excited to be here together. And this energy is what makes the festival so special. I create this framework, but if women didn't come excited and open to share their experiences and to learn about other people's experiences and have these conversations and grow together, if women didn't come that way, it wouldn't really matter what I put together. The festival wouldn't be what it is now. It wouldn't be as important as as it's become. And I really appreciate that. I feel thankful to be able to be a part of something that's creating this space. Yeah. Do some women come not knowing anybody? Yeah. Oh my God. So many women come not knowing anybody. 
you know, there's women who come. There was a woman who drove here from Texas by herself and she had never climbed outdoors before. Wow. That's so brave. Totally. I wouldn't do that. I'm not that brave. <laughs> I wouldn't go to a festival by myself to try something I've never done before. Like, wow. Um, I feel humbled by that, that she had enough trust in me that I would create something that would be worth her time to come that way. You know, um, the festival sells out so quickly that a lot of women end up only being able to get tickets while maybe some of their friends can't. Mm -hmm. So they do come by themselves and they meet each other and they grow relationships. What's becoming more and more exciting for me every year is that our community is really developing where there's women who've been at every festival and have met each other before, uh, the second festival in Bishop, these two women came up to me and said, hey, we met last year and we've been climbing together all year and we came together this year and we're really excited to be here again and meet more women. That's awesome. It's, you know, it's amazing to to, to hear that. Yeah. And you've been doing so much work with these climbing festivals and everything else you're doing. Are you still able to get out yourself? Um, I don't think I get out as much as people think I do. because I'm in climbing areas a lot, but they tend to be pretty filled with work. Um, But I do get out as much as I can. And when I do, um, I'm very lucky where I, I tend to be able to climb mostly with women. I think it's funny where, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, like, uh, like there's so many men. And I'm like, I know, but I've just been able to develop such a wonderful community of women that I, can't even remember the last time I climbed with just a group of guys. <laughs> and I'm really lucky to have that have that be my experience. Yeah. And what kind of training are you doing? Uh, the training, it depends. Um, it's very, right now my training is very goal-oriented. So tr- like trip-oriented. Um, to give you an example, I came out to the Eastern Sierras, which is where I'm at now. I'm in Bishop, California. Uh, but this is a winter spot and in the summer and fall you kind of go into the higher elevations into Tuolumne and the higher eastern Sierras and I a lot of the type of climbing I do is alpine traditional climbing which means it's kind of higher up farther out and it's with the kind of climbing where you bring your own gear and you put it in and you take it out when you leave so you don't leave a trace and um, I live in New York City which is at sea level. <laughs> and a lot of these climbs are at 11, 12, 13,000 feet with fairly long approaches, two, three hour approaches. Right. So a lot of my training for this specific trip I did in September was how do I make good decisions when I'm really tired? How do I climb at a good level when I'm really tired? And how do I train to be able to hike long distances with a lot of weight on my back? But if I was going on a sport climbing trip, my training would look different than that. It'd be a lot about strengthening my fingers and getting endurance on on a climb because they're longer and you need more endurance for that, like actually climbing. Right, right. You've done quite a few sports. So why did climbing stick? Yeah, so... um, I grew up swimming and playing water polo, which is, I know, very Californian of me. (laughs) (laughs) And surfing, Um, too. And surfing. I surfed a lot in high school. And then I got really into snowboarding in college and downhill mountain biking. I think climbing stuck with me for a couple different reasons. One is actually climbing. I love the movement of climbing, the feeling that you get of being up on a wall. Uh, 
you almost feel as a part of the landscape because you're so far from anything else that's familiar. When you're a thousand feet up on a wall, you're kind of part of that place at that moment in time. And I think that's a really special feeling. And I am probably a little bit addicted to it, to tell you the <laughs> truth. Um, I love the challenge of climbing, the fact that you can set your own benchmarks and you can, and it doesn't really matter about what other people are climbing or how hard they're climbing. You could climb something easy, but be outside climbing beautiful climbs all the time and that's possible and I think that's so lovely um so there's that part of climbing the actual climbing which I love I think that I've spoken about this uh in some other places and written about it but my relationship with women has really changed a lot over the last 15-20 years and it's been a tumultuous one uh where at times I felt very competitive with women or disdainful of certain types of women, or having placed or reinforced stereotypes about women by by having assumptions, right? And my ability to have these really amazing, strong relationships with women where we're supporting each other and building each other up and learning from each other is something that um, I found through climbing, and that's been really special to me as well. I I wanted to thank you for talking about uh, slut shaming, which I always always bugs me. So so I appreciate you writing about that. Yeah, no, and I mean I think there's a lot of that things like even not that, but I think an example of what I'm talking about is is these ideas that as a woman who was in a lot of sports that are male-dominated, this idea of the one cool girl, right? right? The one cool girl who's cool enough to hang out with the guys. She's not like the other girls. She's not too sensitive or too (laughs) complaining, like complaining too much or too whiny or all these stereotypes that are put on women. And I think when I was younger, I didn't realize that when I put myself in that position, I was reinforcing that women are actually like that. By saying I'm not like that, that women are like that, which is just not the case. Right. It's it's also reinforcing the idea that there's only enough room for one. Absolutely. That there can only be one cool woman, like, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Right. And it creates and fosters this really negative competitive dynamic between women, right? That right. women are catty. I'm not like other women. I'm not catty, which means that women are catty. Like that's kind of what I was reinforcing, thinking of those things and having to break down a lot of those ideas that had been naturally placed on me through society is is a forever evolving process. Right, right. So what are your goals? I mean, you, you, I know that you're working on a film and do you have these festivals? And yeah, what are your goals? I mean, I hope, I hope that, you know, these festivals provide a space for not just the participants, but for the women that support these festivals through coming and teaching and training and and providing guidance that we're helping to lift them up as well. Um, And I, you know, maybe these kinds of festivals will become irrelevant, that the need for these festivals will become less and less apparent as we're better reflected in the in the status quo environment of climbing. So, I mean, there's really that. 
so you talked about the film. I, this year I co-founded an all-female outdoor media production company called Never Not Collective. And really our goals are to tell good stories, to tell them from the viewpoint of female filmmakers, kind of stating that there aren't that many female filmmakers out there. There are some. I don't want to discount or take away from the women who are out there doing work already. There are some, but there could be more. And it's not that our stories are going to be better than what men are telling, but it's going to be different. And I think that having that different perspective is going to be enriching for our community. And then also to create a network to support each other, that we can hopefully be working with other media makers, with animators, with color correctors, with editors, with illustrators, and building each other up um, the same way that we've been able to build each other other up in the festivals and beyond that i'm always excited for the next new idea (laughs) (laughs) of like ways to do cool work with cool people i like that you guys are hiring women i think that's so important and i that's what i do but i figure like i'm hiring somebody you know why not give a woman a job who may not get a job elsewhere absolutely i think you know i want I want to put my money where my mouth is. If I'm telling other people they should be hiring more women, they should be putting women in leadership positions, then I should be doing that and I should be paying them. You know, there's this idea that when you're doing good work, you shouldn't get paid, that women should be volunteering their time because these things are important. And um, I make a really concerted effort uh, where I pay everybody. You know, we have volunteers who help with signups and things like that you know, registration, but if someone comes here with a craft, you know, like they're a nutritionist or they're a physical therapist and they're providing a workshop or they're like a guide, I think it's really important that they get paid for their craft, for their time. And I, at this point, can't pay everybody what I think they're worth or what their rate is. But I think, you know, I think it's important to pay everybody something and with the hope that we can pay people more as we move forward. That's great. What are your thoughts about everything that you're doing in the current political climate, um, both, you know, because of the recent relevations about sexual harassment, but also the the recent environmental issues? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think this is a pretty tumultuous political environment that we find ourselves in right now. And I think one of the indirect benefits that we're seeing are that people are mobilizing and and letting their voices be heard and looking for ways to take action. And I think that it's a really exciting time to be doing the work that Flash Foxy is doing because we are providing a space for some of this for some of these voices to be heard or for people to feel safe and comfortable saying these things or somewhere where an idea can start, which maybe they'll take and grow into something else amazing because women are powerful and, and they're movers and shakers. And I think around the current environmental issues that are happening as well, I think our voice is just going to lend more um, positive impact. I think that, when we're thinking of strategies of how to mobilize and be effective, that getting more voices and more ideas and more perspectives is just going to make our, our impact stronger. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about just, you know, it's not great right now, but as you said, it's, 
you know, it's this moment that people are feeling that it's so not great that you have to get action and you have to speak up and say something. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's a really exciting time to be here. I mean, look at the Women's March. And that was a catalyst. And, you know, I really do hope that a lot of women who found that to be an inspiring starting point have continued to just go from there and do more and more in their own communities. And I always tell folks, like, it can feel really overwhelming to start being active politically, but, like, that you can take these small steps, like start in the communities that you know and the places that you're familiar with. Like, that's what I did. I started in climbing in my community. And a lot of what we talk about now and the impacts that we've made have rippled beyond the climbing community. But that's where I started. And, well, I also did, my background is in urban planning and I worked in community-based development work in New York City. And I think one example that could be relevant here is if you live on a street let's say, and like a tree in front of your house is cut down. And you're really sad because it was nicer. It was much more pleasant right there with that tree. So you think and you find out how do I address this issue in front of my house. So you go in New York City, you go to your community board and you say, you know, there's this tree here. There isn't one. I'd really like to have one planted there. You go through this process. They have these discretionary funds that they can do use. So you go and you make a proposal and they vote on it. And you present why it's important. And you go and talk to your neighbors and you get signatures from them. And you go and you get this tree. And now a tree's been planted in, your, in front of your house. And you're thinking, whoa, I helped make this happen. And this directly impacted me. And I was able to actually be involved in the city in this community and even though I kind of did this out of my own personal desire it's positively impacting everybody who walks on the street who lives on the street and then that might be like an impetus like you know that might be just the first starting point of doing a lot more work in the city or in your community or whatever and I think you don't need to feel intimidated about making change that you can start somewhere small and what you're familiar with, and and grow from there. You know, you sound so bold, but there has to have been a time when you were afraid or nervous about some of the stuff that you've been doing. Oh, I mean, I think you always continue to be a little bit nervous. And I think, you know, there is also a good point for that, too, of constantly keeping yourself in check and and questioning whether what you think is right or allowing yourself to change and grow. But yeah. How did you learn to speak out so strongly? And, you know, at least from the outside, it certainly appears fearlessly. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, I think it's from a couple different things. I've been really lucky to have several really strong female mentors over the last 15 years of my life. And having these women who I've seen speak out strongly and boldly about things that are important to them and unapologetically, even when they end up making mistakes, to still speak unapologetically and then unapologetically recognize and admit when you're wrong and grow from that has really inspired me and given me confidence to to trust myself and then to be able to forgive myself when I make mistakes and be able to grow from that. 
And a lot of uh, the community organizing work that I did in New York, I worked with a lot of tenants of affordable housing or public housing. And these folks were people who don't have a voice, who are constantly harassed, that are marginalized and are working underpaid jobs to support their family, but still making time to come out politically and fight for their rights and be vocal about that. And, you know, how can you not be inspired to move forward and speak a little bit louder when you're surrounded by people like that? Mm -hmm. You know, I want to go back just to highlight what you were talking about making mistakes. And because I think you do such a great job of, you know, sort of being harsh about examples of sexism, but also being really generous for people making mistakes and giving them the opportunity, you know, both individuals and businesses to make the mistake and to take it back and redo it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really unfair for us to ask people to change and then expect them to do it completely right the first time around. (laughs) We're all, you know, we're all going to make mistakes. There's, there's a huge gap right now to that needs to be covered and to ask people to be able to know exactly what to do immediately is asking a lot and somewhat unrealistic and so as we all move forward together as a community we're all going to make mistakes and we're all trying to figure it out together and what I really want to avoid is someone making an effort and then feeling so negatively judged on the mistake that they made and and that being uh, so unforgiving, that criticism being so unforgiving that they feel unmotivated or scared to try again. Well, it also get, makes an environment that no one else wants to try again. Absolutely. So... What I really want to do and what I really try to do is acknowledge, I think you should always be called out for those, like you should be called out for those mistakes. But what I want to do is to say, hey, I see you. I acknowledge that you're trying and I want you to know that I see that you're trying and I appreciate that. Here are the ways that you might have missed the mark a little bit. And I hope that you'll take this as constructive criticism because I want you to take that and keep trying and try something different and keep growing and that I applaud and acknowledge your effort. Right. Have you gotten a good reaction from that stance? I mean, both from individuals, but also from maybe your sponsors and stuff like that. Yeah, I think I've gotten, of course, you know, there's nothing except for kitten memes and GIFs that will get 100% approval ratings <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> uh, so, you know, anything that I say, there's always people who don't agree with what I'm saying. Sure. Whether it be men or fellow women or anybody, you know. And which is why I just say I can't speak for all women or all people of color or all immigrants or anything that way. Because, you know, we don't have, we, we're not one giant blob of thought. You know, we're, we're multitudes. I'm multitudes within myself, so I can right. only imagine within a group we're multitudes. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, I've gotten a positive response for that. And I think because of that, individuals or companies feel more comfortable asking me, you know, about trying something out. 
because they want to do it right and they want to try to avoid making mistakes and they want to do better and they want to keep pushing. And sometimes people just don't know how to do that. They haven't had to do something like that before. They've never experienced that before. They're kind of at a loss on where to start or starting at a place which with their which is where they are familiar with which might not be the right place to be starting necessarily. So I think giving people and companies the feeling that they can ask questions and not be berated for that only creates a better opportunity for us to move forward as a community. How did you approach sponsors, at least initially, you know, like when you didn't have anything to show them, you know, for your first festival and saying, hey, look, I want to, you know, women sports is really important. I want to get you involved in this great idea I have. Yeah. And I mean, that's one place where I will really give a shout out to some of the sponsors that came in my first year. I didn't have anything to show and I was brand new in the outdoor industry. It's not like I had been working in the outdoor industry for a long time and was trying something new, but I, you know, worked for a community-based design nonprofit in New York city that has nothing to do with climbing (laughs) or the outdoors. And I was like, here, um, I've just suddenly popped out of nowhere. I'm going to put this thing together and nobody's seen it. Nobody knows what it's going to look like, but you should trust me that it's going to be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, for some of my sponsors to have the vision to understand and recognize how important the space was, I'll always be appreciative of that. And I also, at this point, want to give a huge shout out to the women that reached out to me. When I made these announcements about the festival, a lot of women in the community reached out and wanted to help. I know somebody at this company, I'm happy to connect you. I do this work, I want to get involved. I work for this company and I want to figure out how to get them involved because I think what you're doing is important. And they came out and supported me even though they didn't know me either. And, you know, um, and locally as well in Bishop and in Chattanooga, uh, people who just want to support and, and build together and recognize that this was a space that was missing for women and climbing. I'm just so appreciative of that support because there's no way that this could have happened without that. Sure. That's commendable of them to get involved. Absolutely. I'm glad I didn't mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> no. So there's a, a term that I'd love for you to talk about that I've read in some of the stuff that you've written called intersectional feminism. Can you talk about what that is? And um, yeah. I would love to talk about intersectional feminism. Intersectional feminism works around the idea that each of these issues that we face, whether it's feminism or racism or homophobia or Islamophobia, that these are not silos and we're not defined by one of these issues. So if you are a a black woman, you're these challenges that you're facing are very complex and you're facing the challenges that all women face but on top of that you're also facing the challenges that you know people of color and very specifically in some instances black women or or the black community are facing um so your challenges are these challenges that are connected and they're not separate within your everyday experience they're all put together and so they're all connected 
so that when we are supporting feminism and and fighting for women's rights, if we want to make life better and more equal and more fair for these women, that we need to be tackling all these issues and not just the issues that seem to be women specific. Do you get a pushback from that? Of course. I get a pushback on everything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think, you know, of course, a lot of my ideas can be seen as as too political, too Hmm. liberal, too progressive. Um, You know, I get a lot of the comments where people are like, oh, like, why are you making climbing political? Hmm. And my argument for that has always been, I'm not making climbing political. This is my climbing reality. Climbing has always been political for me because these things I'm talking about have always been part of climbing for me. They've always been part of my climbing experience for me. Climbing is inextricably tied to these issues for me because they've always been connected. That's really great for you (laughs) that you've never had to think about these things while you're climbing. That's awesome. Like, so maybe for you, climbing hasn't been political in this way that you're describing it. But for me, I'm not bringing anything into climbing. This is my climbing reality. Right. I always find that my interest in sports is actually just a little slice of what everything else is like. You know, like the sexism I see that in sports is the same dynamic that I see it elsewhere. Absolutely. I mean, and that's why I think it's so funny when people say there isn't sexism in climbing. Why would there not be sexism in climbing? There's sexism in this world. And it seems very idealistic to think that climbing has somehow escaped it. Right. And unrealistic in my point of view. Several of my male colleagues or allies have asked me, how do I support how do I, as a man or as a white man, support this women's movement that you are a part of that I think is important? And so based on these questions, I put together a presentation that I've presented a couple times around ways that men can be allies in the women's movement in the climbing community one of the things that I say is to to acknowledge and accept women's experiences, even if they're not something you've ever experienced or anybody, any woman that you know has ever experienced or that you've ever seen. And this idea of this empathy is something that is a little lacking right now in our society. And I hope that we can learned and grow and have this ability to empathize with the variety of experiences that we face as a community that even if I've never seen that happen, I've never done that. All the women in my life have never seen that or had that happen to them. That doesn't mean you didn't see that or happen, that it didn't happen to you and be able to make that leap. Like, wow, that sucks. Right. It does suck that happened to you. Instead of being like, well, are you sure that it happened? Like, maybe, maybe you were cranky. Maybe you like had a bad experience before and you're reading into it. So this ability to listen and accept that these other experiences are happening, I think is the first step. Right. Because I'm not going to blame somebody for not having seen that or experienced it. Like, that's really great. 
Right. <laughs> I also start for wondering. You. Yeah, great for you. I also start wondering, you know, like, wow, what a really great job so many of us have done at hiding what's been going on. I think that's absolutely true as well. Which makes me sad. It is very sad, but that is one of these things that I think is coming out right now. Sure. Yeah. As you can see with kind of all the news around sexual harassment that's emerging, which is incredibly tragic, but really yeah. good that people are feeling safe enough to speak about it. Right. Well, I really appreciate your time. Uh, we're wrapping things up. Is there anything that we didn't get to that you would love to talk about? Um, I don't think so. I would just, I guess, reiterate that this is a really exciting time for women and for women in sports. And I think one thing that I would be really excited to see is kind of what has been happening in climbing to see those kinds of movements emerge in some of the other sports. But why do you think that sports is important? You know, sometimes I get the comment that, wow, it's just sports. Why are you talking about that? I mean, sports as sports, just not sports for women, I think. You know, I think they're really great because they provide us opportunities to use our bodies and to test ourselves and challenge ourselves and work together with people. And it creates a community just like why is music important or why is food important or, you know, these other things that bring people together. And in terms of women in sports, there's a lot of different ways that you can empower women. And it doesn't have to be in sports. But again, I think you should use the vehicles that you're familiar with to build the things that you think are important. So in New York City, there's a collective of women DJs, and they're called Disc Women. Oh, I love and, that. And yeah, and they have a collective of all these female DJs, and they throw their own parties, and they provide resources to other companies that want are looking for female DJs they have like a whole roster of them that are all amazing and they're doing something really similar to what I'm trying to do in climbing but with music and with DJing and the issues that they're talking about are the same issues that I'm talking about again because these are microcosms of this larger issue within society so climbing cycling sports music these are all skateboarding. These are all vehicles that we're using to address the issues that are in our lives beyond this sport. Because these are our communities. These are the communities that we've decided to be a part of. So if anywhere we think, like, you know, climbing, I love climbing and climbing is my community. And so, of course, if this is my community, I want it to be a better reflection of me. Like, you don't want to look at climbing as a climber and think like, God, this doesn't represent me in so many ways. So it makes sense that I'm trying to change it from where I am, from my community. And people should be doing that in whatever their community is. That's fantastic. Thank you. You're welcome. It was really wonderful to talk to you. I'm so glad it happened. And I hope to hear from you soon. Yeah, thank you so much for reaching out. I'm really excited to um, kind of hear all the other future podcasts you have coming up as well. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please tell your pals about it. No, really. I mean, right now, send an email to one friend just to say Shelma is awesome. Sign up for the newsletter and get the link to a Spotify playlist of favorite workout songs of some of my guests. I'll be back in two weeks in 2018 with another episode.
sports stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see... They've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Kobe Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flo Jo. Phil Hughes. Justin Fashionew. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star. A new series from Crowd Network.